Welcome to the New Freedom Church Podcast. This podcast will help you grow deeper in your faith through weekly 30-minute talks. If you haven't already done so, go ahead and hit that subscribe button so you get each new episode as it's released. Now sit back and relax as God speaks to you through this message. In this passage, there are three specific tests that were posed to Jesus, and they all are the basic human test that we go through on life's journey. If you could boil down three temptations, three testings, this would be what you would find is a common basis of all temptation or testing or allurement of the world. Uh, I guess you could say that in a sense, history does in fact repeat itself because we have found these three tests all throughout history. You can go all the way back to a man named Adam, the first human that God formed out of the dust of the earth. And in Genesis, we find that Adam uh, had these similar tests all revolving around one forbidden tree, one tree that he should not eat of. And it says that he looked and saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and it was desirable to make one wise. Well, there are really about three uh, tests in there, and, and Adam actually failed all three of them, unfortunately. But in Luke, And in all the Gospels, we see the second Adam, the Scripture calls the second Adam Jesus the Christ, and there were also three temptations and tests in his garden or a garden of wilderness, and these are also common to us. These tests were this, command this bread, this stone to become bread, turn these stones into bread, that was the first test. Then the devil showed him all of the kingdoms of the world and said, you can have these if you will worship me. And then the third test was throw yourself down here and the angels will bear you up. So three tests, and we're looking at these specific three tests. We looked at the first one last week, one this week, and then we'll finish up next week with the next test. But in 1 John 2 and 16, he even gets a lot more uh, basic with these tests. And he says, these are the three tests, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Now, we can relate a lot closer, I think, in our dilemmas to those three than we can to a tree that is forbidden to eat from or that would be the temptations that Jesus had of turning a stone into bread, being up on a pinnacle and jumping down. But the lust of the flesh, what does your flesh desire? The lust of the eyes, what do your eyes want to to take that it sees? And the pride of life, how is it that you can be great? Theologian Henry Nouwen says that the three temptations that Jesus faces was to be relevant, spectacular, and powerful. So the temptations were basically this, appetite for food, appetite for something that you want in your life, even a spiritual appetite, ambition to worship kingdoms, and then also approval. These are the basic temptations of humanity. So let's break it down. Let's look at them uh, just a little bit, because as we learn the pattern of how our enemy operates in these temptations, then we can readily identify tactics of how that we can know and respond to overcome these temptations. Luke chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. Look at the words. It says, And the devil said to him, I doubt very seriously you have had the devil speak to you in an audible voice. I know I have not. But in this case, the devil came attempting Jesus, testing Jesus after the 40 days of his fasting. He hadn't eaten anything for 40 days, so Jesus was in a hungry no doubt tired, kind of a weakened physical condition. And the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, notice the questioning and the phraseology of this, the the way that this is put is the enemy is trying to interject doubt into the mind of Jesus. If you are the son of God, 
It's kind of like a challenge. It's a test just with the first word, if. Command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him saying, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Every word of God. Man shall not live by bread. So we can easily read that and say, well, Jesus just overcame the temptation with the word. But there is something much deeper here because this test was clearly a temptation for provision. A temptation to eat natural, physical food, something that was really necessary for Jesus. This is a test of temptation, and it appeals to the lust of the flesh that John tells us about in 1 John. The lust of the flesh. We have to. We have a thirst for. The word lust is not a bad word. The word lust is strong desire. When you get hungry, your body tells you that you have a strong desire for food. The lust of the flesh says that I need to eat or else I will perish. And so when you get hungry, nobody has to tell you you're hungry. Your system tells you you're hungry. You have a lust for food. It is a, a desire for food. We take lust as kind of a, a bad word, and it's not re really a bad word. It's all contextual. But this lust of the flesh is this, this test of provision. And here's the interesting thing about God's word is that the Old Testament foretells and foreshadows things that are about to happen, happening right then, or, or will be common to all of us to happen. And so therefore, the garden that I spoke about a moment ago, Israel's wilderness wanderings I spoke about last week, they all parallel the dry season that Jesus went through, this testing in the wilderness that Jesus went through. The main difference is this, they all failed, Jesus passed the test. Can you say amen, Jesus passed the test? So the book of Numbers, in your Bible there's a book called Numbers. Numbers was so named that because two occasions they took a count of the people in the book of Numbers. It was a census. They, they wanted to count to find out how many people were in the nation. Basically, it was a, 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 a numbering to determine how many men they could raise up for a military service. That was kind of the, the, the census, the reason for the census. Later on in Chronicles, we find that King David took a census of the people. He counted them, and God was not pleased with that counting because he did it for provision to find out how can we go against the armies around us and how many men do we have. In other words, he took an inventory of his natural resources. And it's, there's nothing wrong with understanding your natural resources, knowing what you have at your disposal, but he didn't do it in faith. King David did it out of fear. And so the book of Numbers is called that because there's a census, but that's really not why, not, not the, the central focus of the book. In the Hebrew Bible, the book of Numbers is actually called, get this, In the Wilderness. That's the title in the Hebrew Bible. We've renamed it for our own purposes, which is, is, is totally fine. That's okay. Now, you do know that the chapter and verses that are in your Bible were not there originally, right? Okay. You do know that the names that they gave the books, they're not like always named that. Okay, so, so we understand that, that there are some, some uh, uh, I guess, advantages that some of the translators took to, to make it easier for us to read. That's fine. But it's in the wilderness. And so as we look at this in the wilderness season of our own lives, where can we get a, a, a gleaning, a bearing of what God has done in the past? And here's what I want you to, to kind of frame in your mind for this the rest of what we're going to talk about, is that all temptations back then as well as today have a common antidote, and that antidote is trust. Trust. I trust you, Lord. 
Where are we placing our trust? Where are we placing our allegiance? Where are we placing our care and, and our desires? What are we putting our trust in? If you trust in the arm of man, you will be failed. If you trust in any kind of legal or governmental system, then you will be let down. But if you trust in the name of the Lord your God, you will never be let down. Even when things don't turn out the way that you thought they should turn out, many times looking back, you'll say, I trusted God and that worked out way better than my plans were anyway. And sometimes you really desire something, you want something so bad, but you say a prayer like this, nevertheless, Lord, not as I will, but your will be done. Now that's a hard prayer to pray, isn't it? But when we pray that way, what we're saying is, I trust your plan above my plan. There is no greater symbol in all the world than trusting in our provision through the almighty dollar. In fact, on our currency, this is used worldwide. This is the preferred currency of the world. We have these words, in God we trust. But do we? I mean, it's, it's, in our, it's in our currency. It's probably in all of our pocketbooks or in our pocket or in our wallet right now. We have this phrase walking about with us all of the time, in God we trust. We put it on our money, and yet it's backed by the good word of the government. In God we trust, but do we? Do we as a people really trust in God? Where do we place our trust? Because trust is the antidote. It is the basic level of overcoming any test. So as we go through this unexpected journey, the first test of bread in a dry place is your trust, your test of provision. When you get into a dry place, when you get into a season of not knowing what to do, where to turn, who to go to, it feels as though you've prayed your prayers and nothing is, get, is working, nothing is getting through. The test of bread is the test of provision in that situation. And here's what I want to ask you. Where does your provision come from? Is it your job? Does your provision come from your strong work ethic that you've always been able to produce in the past and that you have a great resume and someone will surely always hire you? Does your provision come from a spouse and their ability to earn from uh, some family inheritance from a rich uncle? Does your provision come from Uncle Sam? Because surely the government won't let me fall on hard times for too long before they will send me another stimulus check. No, our trust cannot be in any of those things. Our trust for provision must truly be in the hand of God because he will never, ever let us down. The God, God's word tells us that he, uh, David says, I have never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging for what? Bread. Bread is provision. You see, the more access that we have to natural provision, the less trust we have on God. This is a first world problem, primarily in our world. You can go other places around the world and you can recognize that people have very little trust in their government. They have very little trust in their provision for their own uh, welfare to, to, take, to take care of them, is that they trust in God. I remember Pastor Lewis, when he was here about seven or eight years ago, he, he ended up in the hospital at uh, uh, Bethesda North. And uh, Pastor Lewis, for those of you who don't know, he's a, a pastor in Nigeria. 
And Pastor Lewis is 73 years old today, uh, alive and well, doing well, but the average life expectancy for a man in his country is 47. So he is an elderly, elderly gentleman in his country. And when he got over here, uh, he, was, he was really trying to take care of his health and take care of himself, and, and he ended up in the hospital with this elevated uh, uh, blood pressure, and his heartbeat was just racing, and, the, and uh, he's, he's, I'll never forget him being in this hospital room in awe. He is just wowed. He is looking around wide-eyed, and I thought, like, we better get the doctors in here. Something's wrong with him. And I said, what's wrong? He said, this place is beautiful. And I said, well, I wouldn't necessarily call it beautiful. He said, oh, we have nothing like this in my country. I said, well, what does the hospital in your country look like? He said, well, if you make it into a hospital, you probably will be in the hallway. But if you get a suite, that means you have a room with a ceiling fan. So there's not a whole lot of trust in their medical system. They have to trust in God. You go to places where they have a lot less and they have to trust in God. The more access that we have to natural provision, the less trust we have in Almighty God. It's it's just the way that that this thing works. It's that we are able to do for ourselves. We're able to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, so therefore we do. We work harder and we make more. We're smart. We go, we we be educated. we We get a trade. We get a skill, and therefore we can provide for ourselves. And the more we provide for ourselves, the less dependent we are upon God. Until, that is, a pandemic hits our nation. Until sickness visits your home. Until the doctors tell you those words, inoperable, incurable, inconquerable. And then you realize all of medical science, all of the greatest hospitals, all of the care and the breakthroughs and innovations that the medical community has are not enough. I must place my trust in God. The test of bread is a test of provision in your life. Who are you looking to? Who are you looking on? Where are you looking for your provision? Proverbs eleven twenty eight says this, trust in money and you will go down, but the godly flourish like leaves in spring. How is that? Because the godly place their trust in God, not in money. So that dollar bill it really has a lot of truth in it. In God, we should trust. I think they should add a word to that. In God, we should trust. The rich young ruler is a, an example of, of uh, a, a man in the Bible who trusted too much in, in his external wealth. And, and I love this story because you can go back and read this, Matthew. Jesus has this guy following him, and he's really fascinated by the ministry of Jesus. And, and he goes to Jesus and he says, you know, I've been following from afar, but I want to come up closer now. I want to be one of your disciples. See those 12 guys right there? I want to be one of those. How do I get into that rank? And Jesus said a, a list of things first, and then he kind of set the guy up. And, and he said, okay, he starts checking the boxes. It, it, don't we do that? We make lists. We check a box. Okay, I've, done, I've exceeded in that. I've done well in there. And so he starts checking the boxes, and he says, okay, I've honored my parents. I've given to my church. I've done all the right things to people. I've been honest. I've had integrity. Yep, I've done all those things since my childhood. And Jesus said, okay, but now you lack one thing. Now, if Jesus looks at you and says, you lack one thing, I think that I would be on the edge of my seat with my ears perked up. Okay, Jesus, one thing. I, I, I don't know that I can do 10 things, but I, can, I think I can do one thing. I mean, do you have enough attention span to do one thing? I do. Probably not three, but I can do one. 
I'd be on the edge of my seat. Okay, Jesus, one thing I like, just tell me that one thing. I'll do that thing, and then I'll be in. I'll be in that inner circle. And he told this rich young ruler, he said, sell all you have and give it to the poor and come and follow me. Now, Jesus doesn't give that command to all of us, okay? You had to read the, the Bible in context to understand. Jesus is not telling you to sell everything you have. This man came in with a question. Jesus gave a response. Where is your trust at? See, his trust was in his riches. It was very clearly known. Jesus understood where his trust was. And so he hit him right at the point that he knew where his trust was. And he said, sell all you have, give it to the poor, come follow me. The Bible says that he went away sorrowful. He didn't like the response, and he went away sorrowful. And here's what you'll notice. You never again see in Scripture where that rich young ruler came and actually fulfilled Jesus' request. It wasn't a command. It was a request. And follow Jesus. Where do you put your trust? What are you placing in front of your relationship with God? Where do you put that test? See, you have to look past the disguise. There was a disguise of this bread and this, this stone kind of analogy that was happening. This stone was the disguise. There was a bigger picture to see. And Jesus saw this bigger picture. Because turning a stone into bread was not something that would have been bad in context. I mean, after all, Jesus needed bread. He was hungry. He had fasted 40 days. Desiring bread was really not a bad thing. But taking a stone and turning that into bread, could Jesus have done that? Jesus could have done that. I mean, if he can walk on water and raise the dead, make the blind to see, Jesus could have easily taken a stone and turned it into bread. In fact, it wasn't even out of, out of historical context that something like this could happen. I'll share it with you in just a second. But for Jesus to do such a thing would have made him spectacular. See, this is a test of being spectacular. Jesus looked past the disguise and he saw the bigger picture. Now, we might think that turning a stone into bread is a silly challenge, but let's look at what has happened in the past. You see, Jesus and the disciples, they didn't have a Bible like this. Jesus' Bible would have been the Old Testament or the first five books of the law. And so what Jesus would have had would have been in Exodus 17, and this is the precedent or the context by which this test was issued. Look at Exodus 17, 3. It says, And the people thirsted there for water. This is when they were in the wilderness. They'd been delivered out of Egypt. They were now in the wilderness. They had gotten away from the slavery. Now they were in this place of wandering, this place of waiting. Remember, they were three days out of the promised land. They, they camped out in this desert, in this wilderness. It said, there the people thirsted, and they complained against Moses and said, why is it you have brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children, our livestock, with thirst? They were thirsty. So Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, what shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, go on before the people and take with you some of the elders, and also take in your hand a rod, your, your rod, which you struck the river and go. So Moses had this stick in his hand. It was the same stick that, that he was able to part the Red Sea with. And so there was something that God was working in and through Moses around this stick. And he says, and behold, I will stand before you there on the rock of Oreb, and you will strike the rock and water will come out of it and the people may drink. And Moses did in the sight of the elders of Israel. So there is already a context here in this test for Jesus to make this stone into bread is that, well, God has made water come out of a stone before. 
So why not bread? Just changing the need a little bit. Those people were thirsty and God gave them water out of a stone. So you're hungry. Why don't you just, if you are the son of God, if you are so great, if you, you have in fact received the endorsement of your father, why don't you just go ahead and make this stone into bread? Yet in Numbers 20, if we, if we keep marching through Jesus' Bible, how that he would have understood God working with the people and the, the contemporary audience of Jesus would have understood, that God told Moses now again regarding a stone that the people needed water. This is on, on later on in the story. He told him to go and speak to the stone and water would issue out. The first time God told Moses, go and strike the stone and water will come out. He struck the stone and lo and behold, water came out. The next time the people thirsted, Moses went to God and he's saying, what do you want me to do? And God said, now this time, go over to the stone. I'm going to give water to the people. All you need to do is speak to the stone. Water's going to come out. You know what Moses did? He went over to the stone and he based the instruction of God upon his memory of the past and he struck the stone twice. Now, Water actually did come out. The people were given sustenance to drink, but God was displeased in this case with Moses because God didn't tell him to strike the stone. He told him to speak to the stone. And here's where we have to be very careful that we don't obey an instruction of God based on our memory. We have to go on revelation. What is God revealing to us? Because the way we passed the test last time may not be the way God's instructing us to pass the test this time. It may be a similar test. And I can't give you a prescription of how I got through it and say, if you just take these three steps, you're going to get through it the same way. God may be moving differently in your life. Now, you can take my testimony. I would love to hear your example. That's what we're to do for one another. Iron sharpens iron, so the countenance of one person sharpens another, right? That's important. You should be in fellowship with other believers. And when you see someone that's low, you build them up. When you see someone that's having heavy and weary uh, time in life, you go and you walk beside them. But you can't give them a specific instruction of how they get through their test. What you can do is you can be there for them, but encourage them to hear from God for themselves to understand what God would have them do in this moment through revelation, not through memory. And too many of us are serving God based on memory, based on how someone else used to serve God, based on testimony of other people's lives. And we can have an encounter with God for ourselves. We don't have to rely on secondhand information. We can have an on-time encounter with God right here and right now in our time. He provides that to us. Jesus saw past the disguise. And he certainly could have done this great, spectacular thing, but he didn't take the bait. If it were mere food that would have solved Israel's problem, then they would have been full based on the manna and the quail that came. Again, that was how that God got them through their test. Instead, that quail that they called for and they desired, it ended up rotting because they had so much of it, so much provision, they couldn't eat it all in one sitting. And I think that this kind of parallels our spiritual lives. You know, as hungry as you are for a meal, you cannot eat enough for six months' worth of supply. You can't have a meal big enough and say, oh, well, I'm good and full. I don't have to eat for six more months. Regardless of the best meal you have, 
the most hearty spread that is put out before you. I mean, think about your Thanksgiving meals. Are you usually hungry by nighttime? I mean, as much as you've eaten, they say that the average American eats over 2,000 calories just on Thanksgiving alone, Thanksgiving meal. But something happens, somehow, we are still hungry. If it's not that night, you're certainly gonna be hungry the next day. You can't pre-eat for weeks on end and just store it up. Neither can you just come to a, a series of church services or I'm just going to go to revival, pastor. Is it three days? Okay, three days of revival. That should do me for the fall. I'll see you back around Christmas time. No, it doesn't work that way. You can't pre-set up your spiritual life. You have to have an on-time, everyday encounter with God. Now, I'm not getting legalistic about it to say you have to read three chapters and pray for an hour and all that. I don't do that myself. I'm not going to try to put onerous rules upon you, but you should, as a Christ follower, have this desire that you want to be in the presence of God every single day. Amen. Praying without ceasing. How did the Apostle Paul do that? Because we, regardless of where he was at, he, he had a lifestyle of prayer. He had a posture of always turning to God. The word repentance is not a bad word. It means turn, turn to God. It, you and I should have a lifestyle of repentance. We're turning to God. We're turning to God all of the time, turning to the Lord having this relationship and this dialogue ongoing all the time about God. I've heard it said like this, if it's over your head, it's under his feet. So if it's big enough to worry about, then it's certainly large enough to pray about. Amen. Go ahead and give it to God. Cast your cares upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. Amen. Sometimes we just need to get into these, these, these uh, uh, motions with the Lord. We just need to cast our care to God. Give it all to him. Now, now, this is the temptation of provision. Turn this stone into bread. I'm, uh, how are you going to eat a stone? No, turn the stone into bread. This is Jesus' reply. We already read the reply. It said, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. But where did Jesus get that from? You know, Jesus beat Satan by the word. And if you are going to be successful over the onslaught and the attack on your faith, you are only going to stand based upon the word. Now, you don't have to memorize every chapter and verse, but you certainly need to have an ability to know where to go in the word to get a nugget of truth. It's never been easier than it is today. If you, you remember something from a Bible story, just put it in the search bar on your phone and say, when did God's word say? When did Jesus say? And it'll, it'll come up with, with scripture references. Here's where Jesus got this, Deuteronomy chapter 8. This is Jesus' Bible, first five books. Every commandment, this is verse 1, every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to your fathers. This is a promise. And you shall remember that in the day the Lord, led, Lord God led you out all, uh, all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and to test you. They were being tested in their wilderness to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger. You know, sometimes God will allow you to hunger. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Why? Not because God's being a killjoy or some cruel joke playing on you. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst, for they shall be filled. It says he humbled you, allowed you to be hungry and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, 
but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Your garments did not wear out on you, nor did your feet swell those 40 years. Sorry, ladies, they didn't have to go shopping for 40 years. Their clothes never wore out. Nor did your feet swell. Sorry, guys, your feet are swelling. You might be in a wilderness if you... You shall know in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord God chastens you. Despise not the chastisement of the Lord, for whom the Lord loves, he chastens. Whom the Lord loves, he corrects. If it's been a while since you've had a spiritual spanking from the Lord, you probably are wandering so far away that he can't get his hands on you. Well, he can, but you've just wandered. It's okay to recognize that it's God's goodness that corrects me, that corrals me, that, that tells me it's time to apologize, that, 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 that humbles me to know I don't have all the answers. I can't do it all on my own. But notice what it says. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. This is ongoing revelation, understanding what God has said, and then in prayer, understanding what God is saying. Now, there's no new scripture being written. We have the canon, but God is certainly still speaking to hearts and lives. Is God speaking to you? He will, if you'll listen. It's that still, small voice that when you have prayed, when you have sought God, when you have questioned him, when you have gone through a hard season, when you have gone through a dry spell, that you settle yourself before God and say, what would you have me to do? What, Lord, would you have me to know? This is the reply of Jesus. And here's also what Jesus recognizes, that bread for just one meal is not enough to satisfy. That if he had done this stone into bread routine that Satan wanted him to do, he'd be hungry again. But he looked back to recognize what God had already done through the lives of the examples of Israel. And the scripture tells us that all things which have happened were written for us as examples. Not all things in this book were written to us, as the primary audience, but they were written for us. And we can claim the promises of God and we can understand that this is our guide. And Jesus hearkened back to the word. He didn't base it on his own experience. He didn't base it upon his own intellect. He didn't say, well, I'm more clever than this trick and this test that I'm going through. He based it on the word because the word works. The word was his guide. Begin thinking about that this morning. I, I went over to my uh, library in my office, and I, and I wanted to grab, I remembered, I don't usually come to the, to the pulpit with two Bibles, but, but I, I have this one that I read out of from here, but then I have this one that was on my shelf because it was given to me almost 30 years ago. It was given to me Christmas of 1994, by Grandfather and Grandmother Schutz. And Grandfather Schutz is 
in that great cloud of witnesses today and he's cheering us on, but Grandma Shuts is sitting right down there. And here's what it says. Now, this is why I don't use it anymore, but I keep it because I don't have very many written things today from my 92-year-old grandma, but I have this. Joey, if you will use this book as your roadmap and your guide, you won't go the wrong way. If you'll use this book as your roadmap and your guide, you won't go the wrong way. And this Bible, it's kind of tattered. It's marked up. But here's what I've found by experience, and I've heard it by preaching. You can look at a person's Bible, and if their Bible's tore up, their life probably isn't. Because as your guide, I've been through some tests, I've been through some trials, but the word works. You won't go the wrong way when you rely upon God's word. What was Jesus demonstrating to us? That he could have easily turned that stone into bread. But what he really used as the greatest illustration in this test was he hearkened back to the word. This is the son of the living God. This is God divine in human flesh. And yet he even appealed to the word. Go back to the roadmap. Go back to what God has done in the past. Don't base your avenue out of your temptation on your own experience. Base it upon God's word.